The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you. Uh, my name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege uh, to welcome you to our service this morning. And we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Romans, so please turn with me to Romans chapter 2. And uh, as you turn to Romans 2, I just want to say if you're new or if you're a visitor this morning, um, we are in the middle of a section of Romans, of a larger section of Romans, going from the beginning of chapter 1 through about chapter 3, verse 20, uh, that really focuses on why every person needs the gospel. We're in the middle of a section that shows us why we all need Jesus Christ. And so as we read this passage this morning, I just want to encourage us all to be on the lookout as we read this, this uh, text to see our need, but also to see how God shows us the, the solution to that need by his grace. So with that in mind, please join me as we read Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others... Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically circumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much uh, for your kindness in giving us your word. Uh, thank you uh, for speaking truth to us. And Lord, I just ask this morning that you would help us as we, as we engage with your word this morning, that you would help us to see our need and that we would also see your grace meeting us 
in our need. And help us to believe and to live out these truths in our lives. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, between my junior and senior year in high school, I was working for a construction company in our, in our town. And um, I was mostly mowing grass and spreading mulch and doing that kind of thing. I was like on a maintenance type crew. Uh, but every now and then I got to be involved in, and I think it actually happened one time, I got to be involved in a cooler job. And on this particular day, we were putting in a retaining wall. It was a very tall retaining wall near this new apartment complex that was being built. And uh, because it was so big, we needed uh, some heavy machinery to help us uh, with this project. So we brought in a backhoe. Some of you have probably seen a backhoe. It's a large machine with a big shovel or, or scoop. And you can use that shovel to either dig a hole in the ground or to take stuff and fill holes that are in the ground. And we needed this because this was a big, a big wall that we were using. Well, or that we were building, excuse me. So in the middle of this project, I'm looking around and I've got my spot where they've got me doing stuff. And um, I'm standing there and I looked up and realized that to keep doing, to keep participating, I needed to be in a different part of the work site. So I looked at where I needed to be and I started to walk to that place. And as I started to walk across the work site, my supervisor yelled out to me in a very gruff and loud voice, don't walk that way. And it got my attention, thankfully, and I stopped right there in my tracks. And I was so glad that he yelled at me and stopped me because when I looked up, I realized that I was just about to walk right underneath that shovel that the, uh, on the end of that backhoe. And it was filled with a very heavy load of gravel. And had I walked underneath it and the machine had failed in that moment or if the equipment operator had not seen me and decided, well, now's a good time to get rid of this gravel, uh, I could have been very seriously injured, uh, if, if not killed. My supervisor saw that I was standing on very dangerous ground and he called out to me to warn me of the danger and to move me to a safer place. And friends, that's what Paul is doing this morning in this passage. He wants to show people that we stand on dangerous ground because all people are guilty of sin and deserve God's judgment. Look with me in verse 12. He says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now we're going to see uh, that this passage applies to every person. Because every person has sinned. And in verse 11, you'll remember if you look back just above this passage, in verse 11 it says, God shows no partiality. So what Paul, is, what Paul is telling us is that God is impartial, that he is fair. And because of this, when we read verse 12, we can be sure that God's judgment, his judgment will also be fair. It will be impartial, both for people who had God's law and also for Gentiles, which is another way of referring to people who did not have the written law that God had given to his people. Now imagine many of us right now uh, are finding ourselves thinking maybe internally, uh, that's, that this doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair for God to judge people who did not have his written law. I mean, how can they be held accountable for something they didn't know? Well, uh, um, I, think, I think it makes sense that we would be asking that question and that we would be feeling that because often that's how the world does operate. Uh, for example, when I graduated from college, I went into this new job, and if any of you have ever started a new job, or you've gone to a new school, or you've started a new sport, or some kind of new activity, there are a lot of new rules that you have to learn. 
There are a lot of procedures. And when you're learning something new, it can feel like you're drinking from a fire hydrant. And inevitably, mistakes are going to happen. That's why we call it rookie mistakes. And when I was working in my first job, uh, we actually referred to this, to this reality um, by something that I'm going to call the rookie salute, which is basically this right here. Because the, the idea was that, hey, we're in here, we're trying to learn our job, but there's just stuff we just don't know. And when we make a mistake, sometimes the only thing you can do is stand there and say, I'm sorry. I know I messed up, but I just didn't know. It's my first day. And I think it would be easy for us to take that same idea and apply it to people who have never had God's law written out. We, we, we think it would be fair to treat people like rookies and give them a pass because they just didn't know. And it makes sense that we would think that, but, but here's the thing. Paul actually is going to show us in this passage that no one deserves to give the rookie salute. No one deserves to be excused due to their ignorance. Rather, in verse 14, he shows how people who have never seen God's written law are still accountable and still deserve God's judgment for their sin. Look with me in verse 14. He says, For when Gentiles, or people who grew up outside of the people of God, today that would be people who grew up outside of the church, when, when those who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul is saying that God has created humans in such a way that we do know right from wrong, even if we don't have the written law. He's saying that people who don't have the law, they still by nature do what God's written law requires in many cases. You could say it this way, God has installed in every person he's ever created a moral compass. That's actually a, a phrase that we're all familiar with and that, that people outside of the church would be familiar with too. We often hear people talk about a moral compass. God has given us a conscience to guide us in, in understanding what is right and wrong. And here's the thing, every single one of us today, here and out, outside of these walls, every single one of us, knows that we have often failed to follow our moral compass because our conscience has pricked us for these failures, for our failure to act honestly in our workplaces, for our failure when we harmed another person with our words or our deeds, for our failure when we broke the rules and we, we cheated in a game or at school. No one can give the rookie salute for their sin. No one can say, I just didn't know, because this awareness is written on our hearts as human beings. And we have all been called out at one time or another by our very own conscience that God has given us. So that we are accountable. We do deserve judgment. And friends, we need to take this very seriously. Because the judgment that he is talking about, this is no light slap on the wrist. I mean, look in verse 12. It says that those who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And when we look at the rest of Scripture, it makes it clear that this means, this means eternity spent in a real place of unspeakable suffering called hell. If you are here today and you have not grown up in the church, you've not grown up hearing about Jesus, 
you need to hear this warning. You need to hear this warning that you are standing on dangerous ground because of your sin. And I I urge you to ask this question, what do I do with my guilt? Please ask this question, and as you do, I imagine you may come up with a few ways you could answer that. You might say, well, I'm just going to try to ignore it. You know, out of sight, out of mind. That'd be, that'd be one way to approach it. Another thing you might do is say, well, you know what? I'm just going to find some way that I can excuse what I did to show, well, hey, I get a pass on this one because of these extenuating circumstances. There, there's many other replies that you could come up with to this, to this question of what to do with your guilt. But all the ones I've mentioned and most of the ones you might come up with, I got to tell you, those will be of no help to you. They will be of no help to you. But the good news is that God cares about you. And he gives us the correct answer for how to handle our guilt actually here in this very passage. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, so please stay stay focused in here with me. Uh, But before we do, in verse 17, Paul addresses another group of people who are also on dangerous ground because of their guilt. And this is the group of people who have grown up in the community of faith. This is a group of people who have grown up in the church. He's speaking to the Jewish people who had grown up hearing God's law taught. Look with me in verse 17. He says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and you know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and he goes on, but but do you hear what he's saying? He's speaking to people who do have a religious background. But as we pay attention to what he actually says to them, we realize that these are people with a religious background and they are relying on that religious background to make them right with God. Let's look at an example. Let's look at one example from this passage of, of what that was looking like. Look in verse 17 again. He says, if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law. Let's pause right there. Look at that phrase. He says, and you rely on the law. Basically, what he's saying is they were depending on doing the right thing to make them right with God. Or as Tim Keller explains, they had turned obeying God, which is a good thing in itself, but they had taken this good thing and they had turned it into a system of earning their own salvation. And that's a bad thing. There is a common term we actually use for this attitude today. We call it moralism, or that's one thing you could call it. Some of you have probably heard this term moralism and as one pastor explains it, the basic attitude or the basic, um, you know, tagline of moralism is this. I'm okay because I'm basically a good person. Or if it's someone with a religious background, I'm okay with God because I've been doing all the stuff. That is the basic, that is the basic um, cry of moralism. And Paul says that this is dangerous ground to be standing on, to be using obedience as a system for earning salvation. Look with me in verse 21. He says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Paul is asking them a series of questions, and and these are rhetorical questions. (laughs) He's asking these these rhetorical questions. For example, he asks, do you steal? Well, if we truly understand the depth of God's law and of his requirements, the answer Paul expects everyone to answer to that question is yes. Yes. 
And if there is any doubt that the answer is yes to his series of questions, he makes it very clear in verse 23. Look with me there. He says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Paul makes it clear that the law they boast in is the law they have broken. And this makes them accountable for judgment. And this message is equally important today for people who have grown up in the church. Because moralism continues to exist today. There are many people who who would call themselves a Christian, but if you really dug into it, and you asked them some, some probing questions to see what they actually believe, what they would tell you, or what you would discover, is that they believe their religious background, or their knowledge of God's law, or their efforts to obey his law, are what makes them okay with God. And this is, this is very dangerous ground. Let me, let me give us a picture of what, what, this, what this looks like. So a number of years ago, a movie came out um, called Invincible. It's a story about this guy from Philadelphia back in the 70s named Vince Papali. And at that time, the Philadelphia Eagles were having a very difficult run of things. And so their coach said, hey, we're going to do open tryouts for the city of Philadelphia. If you want to be an Eagle, come on down and you can try out. Now, imagine, imagine something like that happening today in our area. Let's imagine that just down the road in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech said, hey, you know what? For the, for the greater Roanoke uh, area or the Roanoke Valley, we're going to allow people to come down here and you can try out and you can be a Virginia Tech Hokie. And imagine I got it in my mind. You know what? I don't care what my family in Charlottesville thinks. I'm going to go become a, 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 a Virginia Tech Hokie. I could, let me, let me, let me think about how, the, let's think about how that's going to play out. So I could go and I could learn every single thing about the Hokies. I could learn about their history. I could learn about their coach. I could learn about their philosophy of play. I might even get my hands on a playbook somehow and, and learn all the plays and know all that stuff. Then I might go and get myself a nice membership down at Crunch Fitness. And I go in there and I start lifting weights and I start running the 40 every day. And I do all of these things. And there is no way I'm going to make the cut for the Virginia Tech Hokies after all of that. Because I will tell you right now, there is no way I can meet those requirements that they would have for a football player on their team. And friends, that is a picture of all of our situation when it comes to our sin. Because just like the people of Paul's day, none of us can do what it takes to make the cut with God. Not a single one of us. Every person who has grown up in the church has broken God's law. I mean, let's look at some of the questions he was asking 2,000 years ago. Do you steal? Well, I doubt any of us today have, have, have robbed a bank. I hope not. Um, but I imagine many of us could look back on times when we, have, when we have stolen in some form. When we truly understand the law, we see that we can actually steal intellectual property rights and put forth work saying, hey, this was my idea when it actually wasn't. Or, or maybe another example we could look at from this passage is the, the question of adultery. Well, friends, Jesus taught that, that actually lusting after someone in our heart, that that is a form of adultery. And, and most of us, if not all of us, are guilty of that as well. Whatever law we're looking at, every person who has grown up in the church has broken God's law. And no one can depend on their religious background or on doing what is right to make them right with God. That's a serious message he's given, but, but Paul is actually not yet done addressing religious people. We're gonna press on. You see, some people, as Paul has just talked about, rely on doing the right thing 
but other people will rely on ritual to be right with God. Look with me in verse 25. There Paul says, For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, circumcision was a sign of the covenant with God. It was a a sign of his special relationship with his people. And, And some Jewish people believed that because they had kept this requirement that they were automatically going to be saved. And it kind of makes sense that some of them would have actually begun to think that because in between when the Old Testament and the New Testament were written, they went through a very difficult period of time where where, um, foreign uh, powers came and were ruling their land. And at one point, there was a, a ruler who actually said, you know what, we are getting rid of these Jewish circumcisions, we're getting rid of their sacrifices, and we will kill you if you keep doing this. And so there were Jewish people who were, who were literally willing to die to undergo this ritual. This was a big deal. And yet, and yet, look what Paul says about circumcision. He says, it is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, you're counted as an uncircumcised person. In other words, you're counted as someone who is not a member of God's people and who will be judged. And we've already seen that every person has broken God's law. So he is saying that the ritual is not what makes someone right. And y'all, people in the church, we can fall into the same trap today. We can look back on our personal history and, and remember perhaps that we underwent the ritual of baptism. And we can mistakenly think that this ritual has made us okay. Now, now understand, baptism is important. Baptism is good. Jesus, Jesus commanded us to baptize believers. But, but nowhere in Scripture do we see that being baptized, like undergoing this good ritual that Jesus has given us, the sacrament, that that is actually what saves us. I mean, think about the thief on the cross the thief who, who Jesus promised eternal life because of his faith. He did not have the opportunity to be baptized, and yet we will meet him one day and spend eternity with him because it wasn't baptism that saved him. It was faith. And so we, we see clearly that it, that it is not ritual and that we are standing on dangerous ground if we are depending on ritual to make us okay. So let me just ask us, how... How does this line up with your own heart? How does this line up with your own hope? Are are you trusting in a ritual like baptism or, or church membership vows or some other thing you have done? If you are, please hear this. No outward ritual can make you right with God in itself. No ritual can take away the guilt of sin. Now imagine that many of us, I'm, uh, at least I am right now, are probably feeling the weight of this passage. It's a weighty passage. And we've talked a lot about human guilt from a number of different angles. But what I want us to do now is I want us to shift and look at the hope for all people that this passage gives us. And the hope for all people is that our only hope is God's grace. A few years ago, I was reading a story about this, this woman named Gabriella. She was a Texan from the Fort Worth area. And she was suffering from heart failure. And for a number of years, she had been going to see her doctors and, and seeking some kind of a, a solution uh, to, her, to her illness. 
But there finally came a day when, when the doctors came to her and said, Gabriella, there's, there's, there's no other medicine we can give you. And actually, we've, we've come to the end of our ability as physicians to, to help you in this matter. You, you need a new heart. And we can't do that for you. You need to go and see a specialist in order to make that happen. There, there, was, no, there was no ritual. There was no health or, or physical rule that this woman could follow at this point. She needed a new heart, and this was not something that she could do for herself. She needed someone from the outside to come in and help her and to give her this. And that is exactly what we see Paul talking about here in this passage. This is a picture of how our only hope that we have for our guilt and, this, and, the, the, and the need that God points to in this passage. And it is also pointing us to the grace that he offers us through Jesus. Look with me in verse 28. It says, For no one is a Jew or, or a member of God's people who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. Friends, these verses show us the literal heart of the good news about Jesus. That to truly become someone who is right with God is a matter of the heart. That there's no rule we can follow. There's no ritual we can perform to change our hearts and make ourselves right with God. This work in our heart is something that can only be accomplished by God. And you see, this is why Jesus is so important. Because Jesus... Jesus is the one who actually did all of the things in this passage perfectly. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly so that then he could go to the cross and die for you and for me with his perfect record and pay the price for our sin and then send the spirit that those called by God might actually believe that he is the only solution. The only hope that we have is for God to change our hearts so that we believe in the work of Jesus Christ. So friend, as I wrap up, let me, just, let me just encourage you, if you are here today and you are a believer in Jesus, never take your eyes off the truth that your only hope is in belonging to God by the gift of faith that he has given you. And never forget that your obedience, which is important, please hear that, obedience is important, but please hear that your obedience is always a response to the work that God has already done in your life. It is an act of love and of thanksgiving for the gift of faith he's given you. And if you are sitting here today and you realize that your, your conscience has been pricked for the wrong things you've done and, and you're not sure what to do with that guilt, or if you're here today and you've grown up in the church but you realize, yeah, I have been depending on rules and rituals to make me right with God. In either case, let me encourage you, please turn and place your trust in Jesus because he is the only one who can take care of our guilt. He's the only one who can make us right with God. And I pray that, that the Holy Spirit would give you that faith to believe these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, that you are very honest. Thank you that you, you speak only truth. And you are very real with us about our real lives and about our real needs. But God, thank you that you don't, you don't leave us there, but you also show us to where you meet us in the midst of our need. Lord, thank you for, for doing the heavy lifting. Thank you for doing what is needed for us to be made right with you. And I pray that all of us would, 
would either grow in that faith or come to that faith for the very first time as you work in all of our hearts by the power of your spirit. Lord, make it so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.